Hello, Grandma. We are now recording. Um, I am Jonathan Dixon. I'm here with my grandmother, uh, Arta Jean Christensen. Uh, say hello, Grandma. Hello, Grandma. <laughs> very, um, very obedient. <laughs> uh, we are in the the uh, My Family, Her Story podcast today with Grandma, just talking about her life. Our goal here is to preserve in podcast forms stories and memories for future generations and also just to have a good time. Um, Jonathan, so, Jonathan yes. state the date today. Tell her, tell what today is so that we can have that on the record. Absolutely. It is January 20th, 2021, Inauguration Day. Um, it is cold in Virginia where I am, but probably colder in Salt Lake City where you are. Not bad here today. It's nice and sunny. It's cold, but but it's been a clear, sweet, sunny day. So that's been lovely. So I just, Grandma, oh, go just, ahead, go ahead. <laughs> just to start things out, I'll just tell you that last night <clears throat> my furnace failed on me. And so I had a cold night in the in in Utah, in the Salt Lake City suburbs, because my gas furnace didn't work, and it took me back for a few minutes to how it was when I was a when I was a little girl, and we didn't even have a furnace. We had a we had a stove that that burned coal. Coal is in a bad word in today's world, but it sure was a lifesaver for us because it kept us warm in all those in all those years before we had gas or any other kind of a furnace to keep us warm. So, Grandma, when were you uh, when were you born? Like, what what day and year were you? Uh, were you born? I, I was born the 24th of June, 1929. And if you and if you have any history to reference, you'll know that in October of 1929, the stock market exploded and the Great Depression began. So I truly grew up in the De Great Depression. Your grandpa and I used to say, by the time it got both of us on this earth, couldn't handle it any longer. So it all, it all fell, went down. <laughs> so we caused the Great Depression, not truly, but a fun game to play. For sure. So where, where were you born in, uh, in 1929? Sigurd, Utah. Sigurd is a, it's still a very small town. It's grown a little bit since I lived there, but it was, I would say when I was growing up, there were around 250 persons living in that town. Very small town. So uh, who did you typically spend your time with growing up in, in uh, small town, central Southern Utah? My family 
I had, I had, I was number, I was number seven out of nine children. And so there was, there was our family, many, many kids. I had three older sisters, then two older brothers, then, oh, I forgot to mention the baby, the baby brother. I had three older brothers, but one of them passed away as a baby. So only two of them growing up. So I had, what did I say? Three older sisters, two older brothers, and then myself and a younger sister and a younger brother. I'm 91 years old today at, at this time. And all of those persons have gone to the great beyond except my younger sister, who's the only one out of nine of us that's still remaining. But you asked me who I spent time with, basically them. I spent a lot of time with my little sister because she and I were girls together and we used to play dolls and play house and just play together. We were together a lot and we slept together in, in a single bed, in a bed, together in, in be a bed. And so we used to tell stories and giggle and have a lot of fun while my parents were hoping we'd go, go to sleep. <laughs> 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 do you have a do you have like a a favorite memory of your of your early childhood that uh, you'd like to share? I don't know what would be favorite out of all out of all of it, but I my I really liked playing with my sister and we we used to make we used to make little little farms out in the in the dirt we'd carve out a place and this was where our home was and this was where our farm was and this is where we kept our cows and this is where we kept our horses and like that. And this was all in miniature. And the cows, the cows were apricot pits that we would <laughs> find. They'd been, they'd probably, they were just kicking around in the, on the farm where, where, I don't know how, how we, I don't know where they came from, <laughs> but the, the horses were larger than the cows and they were peach pits, larger than the, the, cow, the cows. And so we had in this little pen made of little twigs that we made, we broke off of the limbs of the trees, I suppose. Anyway, there was a place for our horses and here was a place for our cows. And we were quite elaborate with these games. And, and the smaller, the cherry pits were our pigs. And 
the they had a pen to themselves and and we'd take little blocks of wood and and that would be a a wagon that we would go to with thread or something we would hitch these peach pits to our to our little block of wood which was a wagon and we'd go out on the lawn and and cut grab handfuls of grass and fill up the fill up the wagon with with hay grass hay Care, carefully towed it back to the farm and build us a haystack in one corner of the of our little farm <laughs> sounds like you had quite the operation going <laughs> well we did what we did what we had seen done in our lifetimes so all those things that i mentioned were were things that were on our farm where we lived and and so we basically were recreating what what we lived with but we but i i think now sometimes we were quite creative with those little with those ideas and each each thing representing a certain aspect of of our farm life together. Mm -hmm. So when you weren't uh, playing, what were some of the responsibilities you had on the farm as a little girl? Well, we did, we all had chores to do. We, my older sisters had to, had to milk the cows. The cows, you know, had to be milked every morning and every night. And so that was a pretty steady job for them. And they were the oldest in the family. So, so they had to help my dad with the milking. And I remember distinctly hearing my dad call, call up the stairway to where our bedrooms were call my sisters by name, tell them it's time for milking. He'd say, Idell, it's time for milking. Elaine, it's time for milking. Marie, it's time for milking. And they, they'd get up sleepily and come down for breakfast and go out to do the milking. And I would turn over and go back to sleep because I was just a little kid and they were in charge. So they did those chores and and then after they got grown up and went to college and started getting married and whatnot and were not in the house any longer, then my two older brothers were there. And so it was their turn. And I don't remember him calling my brothers like he used to call my sisters. I don't recall that. And it may have been that they were more willing to get up and go do their chores. I don't know. Anyway, that part isn't a memory, but the but still I didn't have to get up and, and do that. I didn't have to go out and milk. And then by the time my brothers went to college or went in the service in the army or whatever. Then my 
Then my younger brother was old enough. And by then, around that time, my father bought a milking machine that would milk the cows by running some kind of a motor. And he took care of, my younger brother took care of all of that, but, but uh, it wasn't as hard by then. That was, that was like 20 years after my sisters had the job. Anyway, that was their, that was their jobs. I had to, I had to hoe in the garden, keep the garden, keep the weeds out of the garden. I had to help with dinner, wash the dishes, put the normal stuff. Had little had little chores in the house to do, like dusting and and sweeping the floor and things like that. When I was when I was really young, and then. Some of the things that I remember doing that I really liked was helping with the, with canning the fruit and vegetables out of our, out of our garden. Uh, we called it canning, but it was really bottling. And we did it. We did a, a lot of that because that was our our food for the winter. So we couldn't uh, we couldn't exactly forget about it we had to we had to make sure there was something in the cellar to eat during the winter time when the when the snow was on the ground and there was nothing to eat in the garden and we had i like i like that phrase there was a, a man who wrote about his lifetime growing up in the depression days and he said they had he titled his book any everything but money everything but money and i think that was a perfect title because that's what we had everything but money mm -hmm. we had we had plenty of food to eat we had leftover clothes to hand me down clothes to wear we had something to wear I didn't know we were poor until I was in high school, probably. And they, by then, the the war was on and the economy had changed, and we weren't in the depression anymore. So then I learned about the Great Depression, and I thought, my gosh, that's the way I grew up, and didn't even know that we were poor. It was just the way life was, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So how old were you when uh, when things started to change from horses to like cars and from electricity to, or from nothing like to electricity, if those even happened around the same time? Well, most everybody had a had a car when I was growing up, so I didn't really see the days when we had to go places from one had to go somewhere with the horses. We used the horses on the farm. We used the horses 
to to pull the pull the machinery on the farm and pull the wagons that that we that they hauled the hay in and the grain and things like that. We used the horses on the farm all the time, but we didn't, but we had it. We ha always had a car from the time I can remember to like to go to church and to go into town for whatever reason or whatever we did. But so that was, most of that change happened before before okay. my time in my parents time but the the what was the other thing you asked me electricity oh electricity yeah we we got electricity in the house when i was four and i remember it very well and in the kitchen they had a cord hanging down from the middle of the ceiling and one light bulb in that, at the end of that cord in that. And that was, seemed so wonderful to us to not have to, not have to light the lantern when it got dark and, and take care of. That was something that I could have mentioned that it was one of my chores was to clean the, clean the uh, the chimney on the lantern which was which was made of glass and I don't know how you don't know what I'm even talking about so I don't know exactly how to tell you how it was <laughs> but it, the lantern was fed by by uh, uh, kerosene and you may have seen camping lanterns that were similar that have a wick in it and you have to turn the wick up as the as it as it burns the wick goes down into the fuel and and you can turn it the wick up a little bit if you want a brighter light or down a little bit if you want to be saving your fuel and your and your and your wick because there wasn't any money to buy new ones you know it was mm -hmm. it, it was take care of what you had because that you weren't going to get in some more <laughs> yeah anyway i was i was four and we got the lights in the house and and we got a bathroom when i was for running water in the house at the same time as i oh. recall that's nice that those came together yeah well you know we felt pretty rich when that when those things took place <laughs> with a light bulb and running water what else do you need right yeah right <laughs> So when you were growing up, um, do you re do you remember very much about the elderly people that you met when you were uh, a, a young woman, a young girl, 
Well, my grandparent, my my par grandparents, I I knew them. I guess that's who you'd be calling elderly. They, my grandmother died. My on my father's side, my grandmother died when I was six, but I remember her before that. She lived with us for a while because she had a stroke and became paralyzed. And so she was totally dependent. And uh, so her children traded off turns having her live with them and they would take care of her. But in today's world, she would have had, she, she would have been in a, a care center of some kind, but there weren't any such things in those was, days. Was this on your mom's side or your dad's side? You just mentioned. My dad, my father's mother. And uh, I have a family tree pulled up here that Felina Washburn. Yes, Felina. She was and, born in 1855. Yeah. So by the time I came along, she was already old and she died. She was 80 years old when she died, as I recall. That might be right. And uh, I can remember with her, I remember them having to, my mother and dad together, having to lift her from, from a chair into her bed and such like things. We had a, there was a, it was a wheelchair, but it didn't look anything like the wheelchairs of today. It was a, it was more like a chair with wheels on the bottom. And, uh, and she couldn't move herself from place to place, but when she was in that chair, we could, we could move her over by the window so she could look out or, or up to the table so she could eat with us or things like that. We could move her from place to place. And then when it was time to go to bed, they had to just physically lift her over into the bed. And they had a bed for her in our, in our dining room because there wasn't to because our bedrooms were all upstairs and they couldn't carry her up the stairs. So they, they just put a bed for her in, our, in the dining room, which was where there was space. Anyway, I remember the, some of those things about her. And, and I remember she was the first deceased person that I had ever seen. And I, I, I looked at her looked at her laying in the casket when I was six years old. I remember that's one of my early memories. And my grandfather, my father's father had died before that. He died. I don't have any memories of him. He died when I was about a year old or so. But my parents named me named me Jean in honor of his mother, 
his mother was named Jean and they wanted they wanted to name me that and they wanted to think of something that would sound nice to go along with Jean. But he didn't care about my first name. He, he was so happy that they named me Jean. And, but in the Scottish dialect, they, they would, uh, he, he would say Jen. And he, my mother told me that he liked to hold me on his lap and, and coo over me and say that he loved his little Jenny. And I, I don't have any memory of that, but it's kind of a sweet thing that I like to think about because I think that, that well, it kind of made me, kind of gave me a feeling of connection with him. He came from, he came from Scotland himself. He was the, he was the immigrant and uh, joined the church in Scotland and then and then came to America in behalf of the gospel and um, walked across the plains. That's Will William Adam Warnock. Right. Born 1837. Yeah. And you see he was he was a bit older than my than my um, than my grandmother and and the marriage between them was a second marriage for each of them. They each had a family before, and then each of their each of their spouses passed away, and they <clears throat> they were living across the street from each other in Monroe, Utah, and decided that maybe it would be a good idea to to marry and have a father and a mother in the house together. And so they each had, she had, she had three sons and he had, I think, I think, I don't remember, five or seven children. He had quite a few children. And so, but she was, that grandmother lost her husband. She was married when she was 15 years old. And when her husband died, she was 24 years old and had had five children, two of which had, had died earlier. And she had these three sons left. So she was still, in my opinion, still very young and in that kind of a precarious situation. And, and she agreed to, to marry him and she wanted a, a father for her boys. And, and he thought it would be nice to have their families together and all that. So they, they did marry and then they had five children between them. And those five, my father was the second to the youngest out of those five. So there were a lot of aunts and uncles and a lot of, a lot of drama in those pioneer days. I didn't experience all of that, but I heard 
about it all the time because everybody honored the pioneers and and he was certainly one. He came across the plains with a covered wagon and walked all the way across the plains. She, my grandmother was born here, but her parents, her parents also were pioneers, came across the plains. So we're just doing a, it was a, it was a, it was a, an interesting time. It was very different from now, very different. My mother yeah. said that, my mother said my grandfather used to come over from Monroe to Sigurd to visit. And Mon, I think it was about maybe 30 miles trip, but she said he had to come with his horse and wagon or horse and buggy or whatever it was. And they had to, that took him maybe, he, she said it would take him all, all morning to get there. And then he'd, then pretty soon he'd start saying, well, I need to be going home. And she'd say, oh, grandpa, you just haven't been here very long and it took you so long to get here. We'd like you to stay longer. And he says, well, short visits make long friends. <laughs> so, he was kind of a pioneer philosopher. <laughs> Short visits make long friends. Is that the opposite of familiarity breeds contempt? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was my that was my father's parents and my mother's parents. I'm yeah, and my mother's parents. Lived close, lived around us. I saw them, I saw them quite a bit. And he was, he was a farmer, and his farm was, was in Sigurd and in the outskirts of Sigurd. And he had lived there all his life, so they were around quite a bit. And and they were younger people than than my my uh, father's parents, and so. My mother was the oldest in her family, whereas my father was the youngest in his family. And that sounds a little bit like you and Amber, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that way, that way, um, those parent, those grandparents were a lot younger, and they they were around me more, and and I knew them longer. And in fact, my grandfather, after my grandmother passed away, my grandfather came and lived with us in our house for the last seven years of his life until he died at age 87. And I just, I had a great relationship with him and loved him immensely. He was sure a fine man and and had a cute sense of humor, and we got along very well. <laughs> it was a that was a fun that was a fun time in my life to have him to have him living there at, at our house. That's Jacob Dastrup. Jacob Dastrup, born eighteen sixty five. Yeah, Jacob. <clears throat> Jacob had a lot of interesting stories to tell because. He's, he, 
he started out in the pioneer days and and came on up into into modern days and it made it it made it so that he had a lot of interesting things contrasting things to to talk to us about and he'd tell us stories about his experiences and it was a lot of fun for me and my grand my grandmother who was his wife and my mother's mother was a a very sometimes i think about it i think she was ahead of her time she was a a very independent sort of a woman and and very active and very very well liked and and did a lot of did a lot of church work in various ways had a lot of responsibilities given to her but if there had been a, a women's suffrage group in her town she would have been the head of it mm -hmm. that's <laughs> awesome this is pauline larson born 1864 right she was a she was a a strong, a strong woman, strong-minded woman, and she sort of. <laughs> I'll tell you a little story about about her. They they told me that in a in a relief society meeting one time, her, she was present, and and the other the other women of the Relief Society were being a little bit perturbed by a baby who who kept fussing and, and throwing tantrums and and being disruptive in their work meeting and and uh, the the mother the young mother who didn't know what to do with this how to how to handle this child and keep him quiet she she finally sort of said in desperation something like well I don't know what to do uh, and the my grandmother said well you could you could pick him up when he's when he's throwing a tantrum or something and she said well, I do that, but he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. It doesn't, it doesn't help him. And she says, well, you don't pick him up in the way that many would have picked him up. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell that my grandmother thought she was being way too permissive. <laughs> Very strong and uh, that's awesome. Um, Comparing, you know, the the world that you grew up in to the world that you see now, your great grandchildren growing up in, what would you say are some of the most uh, stark differences between the two? I th I think one of the biggest differences is how much material things we have around us stuff <laughs> i i 
even it's obvious to me that I love stuff too. You've been in my house and you know that I've got a good sized house and I've packed it full of stuff. It's very, uh -huh. <laughs> it's very full of things. But I think that's, I think that's one of the things that, that is the biggest difference between then and now is how much in the way of material goods we have surrounding us. And then of course, the, the, all those things like me, means of communication. One of, the, one of the things that came on when I was a little kid that I remember very well was the telephone. And we, we, had a, we had a telephone at our house and all the, the, most of the neighbors did not have a telephone. And so they would come to my house and ask if they could just use the phone and they wanted to call somebody in town or call the bank or I don't know what they all wanted, but whatever it was, they would come to our house and use the phone. But they had, they had a little story about, about my grandfather, Jacob Dastrup and his brother, John, who they lived just across the field from each other. But oh, some distance, I would say about a block in as a point of reference, they lived quite a ways away from each other. And our house was kind of like at a triangle, but kind of between the two of them. And they, they said that when when they first got a telephone they were very happy because then they could talk to each other without without going without actually going to their house to see each other but my dad used to laugh and say well i could sit on my front porch and i could hear both of them talking because they thought <laughs> they had to talk so loud <laughs> to be heard <laughs> on the telephone. He said, I think if they'd have gone out on their porch, they could have just talked to each other. Because <laughs> they were talking so loud. <laughs> I can imagine the two of them just yelling into their brand new tele telephones <laughs> and your your dad just sitting there in, in the house like, oh, they're, they're having a conversation. I can tell from here. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was, that was kind of a funny story that we came up with, too. But my dad always wanted the very latest in equipment and the very and the one that would make be the best. He always wanted that. And so, like I say, we were we were early on getting getting lights in the house and getting water in the house oh a bathroom in the house can you imagine so you don't have to go out to the outhouse <laughs> sounds like an upgrade <laughs> i would too i'd be right there with with the great grandpa irvin i would be fully what are you indoor plumbing sign me up <laughs> exactly 
Yeah, they were hard workers. That's another thing that I think that is a difference between then and now because we expected to work hard. We expected to do all of those things. And a lot of people nowadays, it just seems to me like they expect somebody to take care of them, provide for their needs. They don't expect to have to work for it. And that I, seems to me to be a difference in between then and now. But it, this thing about, about having, having goods, we didn't, we didn't have much. And we got along just fine. We didn't really need much. We, we enjoyed life. And I thought, think that's the biggest thing. We did enjoy life. We had a lot of fun. We, we played together and, and we enjoyed each other and, and loved each other. All of those things were what made our lives happy in spite of the fact that we didn't have much in the way of, of material things. So I think, I don't know, did that answer your question? It, it did, it actually leads perfectly into um, my next and last question for uh, today's little conversation. Uh, what from your childhood, if anything, do you wish we had more of today? Of what we had then or how, what it was like then? Yeah, like what about your childhood, if anything, do you wish we had more of today? Well... I... Uh, I, I think I, I think I like to, I like to kind of think that, that we had more freedom. And by that, I'm trying to say that, like, for example, we, we kids weren't restricted to our own yard or our, our own backyard or anything like that. We, we just roamed. We went wherever we wanted to do and, and uh, just made, our parents made sure that, that we, they were, we were expected to come back when they called us or when, when it started to get dark, why then we had to be home. And, but in the meantime, we went a lot of places and did a lot of things. We, we were all over, all over the town that in our free time, you know, in, in when we weren't doing our chores or our work, but, but we just kind of went wherever we wanted to go. And I, I feel like that led us to be independent, let us to know how to take care of ourselves and, and be, be strong in being able to 
make decisions and, and choices. I feel like I feel like that is somewhat missing in today's world because they're even making laws now about what parents can allow their kids to do and not allow them to do and things like that. And I think, how do you expect your kids to learn how to take care of themselves if the parent is always present and always looking over them and always making decisions for them and things like that. I think that aspect of, of trying to have our children grow into, into capable independent adults is kind of missing in today's world. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen with any of them, but anyway, that's one thing that I feel like that that our society is missing. That makes sense to me, yeah. Is there anything else uh, that you would like to add about your experience of uh, growing up as a little girl uh, before we end today's conversation? Well, I just, I just wanna say this about it, that our parents were very faithful, God-fearing people and they taught us to be that way. And I, I feel like that that's what the whole world needs more of is, is faith, faith in our heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ and faith in the, in the destiny of mankind. I believe that that we all that we all need that and many many of our many of the people that i know are teaching that to their children but i think i say the nation as a whole has gone downhill in that regard <laughs> yeah there's there's uh, many people who'd agree with you well, thank you so much, Grandma, for sharing today with uh, me and whoever listens to this in the future, uh, all of these wonderful stories and experiences that you had growing up in the 30s in Sigurd, Utah, and uh, meeting and uh, playing and having all sorts of these wonderful things that turned you into the Grandma that I know and love. Um, I'm gonna stop recording today. And uh, uh, again, thank you very much. And uh, I love you. Thank you, John. Thanks for the opportunity. I love you too. I'm very proud of you. Thank you.